Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The series Smother, starring Dervla Kerwin, completely gripped the country during lockdown 2021. And the fact that we all had to wait every week for the next instalment gave us all the water cooler conversations on Twitter instead. And it all came from the mind of Bantry writer Kate O'Reardon. Now, Smother wasn't her first series. She's also the brains and imagination behind Mr. Selfridge and screenwriter and adapter for a whole slew of programmes we've seen on TV for many years. So for the West Cork Literary Festival, she was filmed in conversation with another of my favourite Irish authors, Liz Nugent. Liz herself, of course, has written for television and was one of the writers for Fair City for a long time. And I really loved her latest novel, Our Little Cruelties. So I was delighted to sit in on the filming of their festival interview. Now, afterwards, on a glorious, warm, early summer morning, I sat outside Bantry House with them for a chat while trying not to give away or repeat anything they'll be talking about in the screening, which will take place as part of the West Cork Literary Festival on July the 10th. Liz and Kate, it's great to talk to both of you together. And you actually were the perfect pairing for this recording in Bantry for the West Cork Literary Festival because you have so much in common, not necessarily from a family background, but from a work background. We'll come on to that now in a second. But Kate, I'm going to start with you, obviously, because this is your home turf, even though you don't live here at the moment. I know. So do you get a chance to come back to Bantry often? Well, normally, Elmer, yeah. I would be here every two months because my mother's still here. Yeah. And this is the longest, I would say, in maybe 20 years that I haven't been... At, the last time I was home from this time was July last year, which is unbelievable. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Because we're so used to, like, yeah. Ireland, London, Cork, London being shorter than travelling to Dublin <laughs> in some respects. Uh, for me to get to West Cork sometimes is shorter than going to meet a friend across town in London. There you go. In North London. It yeah. genuinely can be the case. So the last year, it has been really, really hard from that perspective. But I was laughing because I didn't intend eavesdropping on the conversation you were having there. But I heard you mention that you went to boarding school. I did. Yes. Uh, I went to Ross Carberry yeah. boarding school. Yeah. I got sent away <laughs> for smoking and being caught kissing somebody up Cotter's Lane. Uh, <laughs> um, and yes, so uh, actually it was great crack. I really enjoyed it. Met a great bunch of friends. All the smokers, of course. There all, you go. all the bad girls, yeah. <laughs> but we had quite... Um, we had quite progressive nuns. We were allowed a smoking room and things like that. Stop. Yeah. 
I know. They really were ahead of their time. They were, yeah. yeah I was so terribly envious because I really wanted to go to boarding school, I think, did to you? fulfil every Enid Blyton, so Mallory oh, Towers thing I'd ever wanted. I yeah. really didn't want to go. I can't tell you <laughs> how hard I tried to yeah. get expelled at the very start. But I knew that I couldn't go back up to Bantry. They wouldn't take mm-hmm. me. So it was, uh, I only had two years. But I fought, the first year, I fought every bit of it. But actually, because they were so progressive, there wasn't an awful lot to fight. They were really the first human nuns that I'd ever met. Isn't that good? Yeah, and it was such a gorgeous spot, an old building. But I think I think the fact that you were sent away to boarding school yeah. and all that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, showed like you were a strong, independent thinker right from the start. I was. You know, which... I was a bit of a wild child, yeah. <laughs> And the nuns still didn't tame you. They didn't. So that's the thing, isn't no, it? No, <laughs> they didn't. No, they, they kind of had a, an inclusive thing. So, yeah, I, I had a ball there. I thought it was so great. So, Bantry to Ross Carby isn't necessarily a huge no. leap, you know, and it is only less, more yeah. or less kind of over the hill. And growing up in Bantry, uh, you were obviously living here. Your dad was working in the town. He was a butcher. And I'm yeah. laughing because in that conversation that you were having, Liz, you were saying that Louise O'Neill's dad only up the road in Clonakilty, also another butcher. <laughs> and right. you were saying, like, what is it about butchers? And Dvorak's dad was a butcher as well. So there you go. I mean, there must be something in it. <laughs> Whatever the thread is, six degrees of it's separation. All viscera. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But it's, it's funny, isn't it? Um, when you sit down to have a conversation like this at a literary festival like this, that's one of the things I think we as viewers and we as readers and ordinarily as audience members in Bantry House or in the Maritime love about the festival is that chance to sit back and be relaxed and chat about the human nature behind the writer, the family life, your inspiration, your influences and the journey that has brought you to where we're all at home reading the books. We're all at home watching the series and and it's, it's lovely, isn't it? I mean, like the, the two of you have done, I presume, so many festivals at this stage. But Liz, for you as a writer, you're obviously used to sitting at both seats, both the seat for the interviewer and mm-hmm. the interviewee. That's right, yeah. Which do you prefer? I think the in, being interviewed is easier because you don't have to do too much research and you don't have to come up with any questions. You just sit back and you answer the questions and... Uh, being the interviewer, you have to do a bit of research and you have to do a bit of thinking. And I watched it, the the whole series of Smother for a second time, which I have to say was no trial at all. Yes. It was a pleasure. And actually, I got more out of it the second time around. So for Kate, it was a really easy one. And plus, I know a little bit about how, to, how TV works, but I know the audience don't. So I was probing Kate about that kind of aspect of it. That's it. And having watched both of you talking about it, I was gripped by that because knowing each of you separately as novelists, and you talked about that as well, novel writing is such a solitary experience. You're there, and yet there are, from procrastination to the laundry, a multitude of things that can still interrupt the flow of thought as a writer. But writing for television is such a collaborative process. And I I know I've seen different writers sometimes share their modus operandi for dealing with the multitude of layers there can be in a story from having, you know, a wall in the house covered with post-its for every character, that sort of thing. Like, for you, Kate, particularly for Smother, your most recent series, and the one that gripped the country in lockdown. (laughs) 
Keeping track of the various interplays and interactions between characters, do you work on a mind map? Do you work on whiteboards? Do you jot notes? Do you make voice notes? Or how do you work and weave those multitude of stories? Well, originally you do everything on the whiteboard Mm -hmm. and that's before it's cast. And that's, you know, that is just writing into the void. And then once they cast, that makes life so much easier because... Uh, the actors will bring their own personality and you've got a face for the character and you will know, I don't need to write that line. Like, for example, for several lines for Shona, you'd say, I know what face she'll do. So I don't actually need to write it. And they're all highly, highly intelligent people. So it's like you don't even need to put it in a stage direction. She's sad here, she's angry here, whatever. They get it. So I don't need any prompts once they're cast. That's it. And they just stay in your head. And they all have very distinct personalities. And as series will progress, each one of those will be, you know, fleshed out a bit more because this was, the whole thing was the, the Dennis story, the first one. So it'll be a different story for the next one. And like season two, already filming. Yeah. I heard you talking about the whiteboards, the blank whiteboards that there yeah. already is for series three and the excitement about that, yeah. which is fantastic. Well, what was it like for you at home in London knowing everyone was, you know, watching television and also tweeting at the same time you know, know. every single week. Well, I'm not on tweet, Twitter or Facebook or any of those things, although I did sneak a peek, of course. Um, and it was my mother was telling me. But I thought, well, Mum will exaggerate anyway. You know, she's <laughs> going to tell me the, the best foot forward kind of thing. But then um, I was hearing from the production company and then seeing from, you know, doing radio interviews and things. And I thought, I can't believe it. I just never expected it to take off the way it did. And really, what was kind of, uh, to be honest, the whole thing was never really meant to, it was kind of tacked on, the mystery, thriller aspect. It was kind of more about mother-daughters, and that was the bit that really um, struck a chord with the audience. And so therefore, as, as you should do, now you know what they want and expect. I mean, that's what we'll continue to, to give them. I don't want to... It's a strange one for me sitting down with the two of you now, having seen the talk that you've just recorded, because I don't want to kind of have spoilers in it for either the conversation that you have or that gorgeous relationship you struck up immediately between the two of you, which is lovely. But also the kind of topics that you you did cover, like you as two writers together covered a lot because you, Liz, you share a lot of ground in terms of having a background, obviously in novel writing, but also in writing for television. So you have an insight into it. And one thing that struck me about uh, listening to you, and I don't think this spoils it for anybody though, is you were talking about being increasingly invited to adapt your own work for the screen. And Our Little Cruelties Straight away. I mean, you could see immediately how that would be so filmic and cinematic and uh, televisual. Is that ever in your head when you're now sitting down to write a novel? Yeah, I I mean, the way I write anyway, I stuff my stories full of visual incident. But I've always done that unconsciously. Mm -hmm. But now I have realised that that does increase interest from television or film companies. So, you know, that's handy. Because, <laughs> like, three of my books have been optioned. It doesn't mean they'll ever get made. But uh, three of the books have been optioned, including Our Little Cruelties. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that maybe one day something will get made. Who would you cast as William and Brian and Luke? I couldn't tell you that. Because <laughs> if I gave you names and then somebody else was cast and found out that my first choice yeah, was yeah. 
So, oh. so other person, you know, Killian Murphy might be miffed. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd second you. I'd come, I'd come behind you on the Killian Murphy casting there for sure. But it, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I loved listening to the two of you. And I think if uh, listeners to the programme this morning are looking up the West Cork Literary Festival website to watch out for this conversation is definitely one of the things that should be top of the list because in a very gentle, natural, but revealing way, the two of you talk about you know how important it is to have an agent right from the outset and the horror that it is for a writer of any nature, whatever sort of a book you're coming from, of the slush pile. And I think that empathy and that message from two such established successful writers is so important still in part I think too because when people are coming to a festival like this or signing up for any of the workshops and that sort of thing the ones that go straight away how to get an agent how to get published starting the blank page a full template letter because I get so many letters from debut writers uh, saying, you know, what should I do or how should I approach an agent? So I have a full template letter and if anybody ever contacts me, you know, I can just send them the letter. Because yeah. you can look up Google and it will give you 50 different ways to write a query letter. But I just, I was so bamboozled, I just came up with my own one. So I give them very specific advice and I said, I say, look, this is what worked for me. may not work for you, but this is what worked for me. And I would always say to them, you know, make sure that the book is as good as you can possibly yeah. get it before you send it off. Don't send in your first draft. Yeah. You know, don't expect that your editor will fix the holes in your book. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to send it, as far as you're concerned, ready to publish. Then your editor will make you rewrite it. But that's, that's after you get the contract, you know. But uh, you really... There, there are some kind of key things that, you know, you really need to impress on new writers. Don't send the first draft. And they're so keen to get it out there. Like, once you're finished, you're so keen to get it out and, get you know, get some feedback. But if you send your first draft, I guarantee you the feedback will not be good. It's so reassuring and encouraging and inspiring, though, for people to to hear you tell that story and, you know, to say that it's still like both of you, each of you has been so honest about not necessarily imposter syndrome, but that kind of worry and insecurity about current work, future work, the blank page, people's reaction and that sort of thing. And it's it's really, really critical. I was laughing, Kate, you said you're not on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that, but obviously TikTok is the latest oh, yeah. one. Yeah. And one of the big crazes on TikTok... <laughs> I grimace every time I see it, but at least once a day it comes up on my feed. How to make money while sleeping, right? Right. Oh, and this is the way. This is the way. And there are thousands, and I mean thousands of people on TikTok saying, go into Amazon, go down to digital books, then you click on that and then you go over to Canva, you get someone for a fiver to write you ABC, and then you put it up on digital books and you make money while you sleep. And it's called a side hustle. And <laughs> right. I mean... You know, when you see the life, the blood, sweat and tears, the emotion, the heart, every fibre of your being that goes into the reality of writing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. And that's why I think... I don't understand. What do they do? What, what do they do? They order books they on Amazon. create digital books using other people's labour and sell them online. You're kidding. So they steal other people's books? No, they commission people to write them for very little money. <laughs> They're appalling. No, Liz, there's no competition. (laughs) 
<laughs> don't be worried about the competition. There is none. But it's just, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's this kind of warped nature there is, I think, of writing and collaborating and that, that editing and drafting yeah. and redrafting process, yeah. which is one of the things that the West Cork Festival is so excellent at supporting and yeah. Yeah. being real about and yeah. being practical about. I think, you know, that's why such established writers come back and agree to take part and, and get involved. And for, for yourselves, I know you said, Kate, as well, that you did a screenwriting course, which was kind of what got you into yeah, yeah. television writing in the first yeah, instance. Yeah. Was that your first time doing a course of that nature? It was the first time. I had joined uh, several creative writing courses for theatre, for short stories, for things like that, and I would recommend that to anybody. But, I, I mean, I could be quite harsh as well in saying... And, I've, and now I've taken the courses, I've, I've led the courses. And very often somebody has, I don't know if you find this, Liz, very often somebody has a really good idea, mm-hmm. but an idea does not a book make. And mm-hmm. sometimes people come to uh, creative writing courses and somehow, I don't know how it happens, this magic thing is going to happen, they think, that with that idea and the fact they're taking the course, the book will somehow get written. There is no other way to get the book written and to get it published, then to sit down and write the book, eventually you're going to have to bite the donkey's tail. There's just, and it's quite extraordinary how many people don't kind of get that. Mm-hmm. The person that's got that is the person who really gets it and, and will write the book. Catherine Ryan Howard, Cork writer, Catherine yes. Ryan Howard is very funny about that because she talks about the years that she spent being absolutely furious that everybody else was being published and she wasn't and then she realised that she actually hadn't written anything yet. You know? And so, I know. She, so she eventually got down to it. But you know, she's very, very funny on that topic, you know. It, it, but it's so true. <laughs> and I have sat there, you know, and there's twenty people around the table, eager beavers and everybody's really excited. And some of the ideas are fantastic. Of course they're always worried you're gonna steal the ideas well. You're never going to do that, so you have to placate people and tell them that's fine, what's in this room stays but then it's like that the the magic difference between seeing 350 pages and a half a page of an idea just hasn't connected and you can instantly tell on the first day in in a writing room who who's getting it Mm. this is a very very long slug it's not like we're saying oh my god we're so fantastic because we've done the slug but it really doesn't connect with people sometimes they think they'll come out of a six-week course with a book with a book yeah yeah. Well, they have to get the agent. Yeah, that <laughs> and avoid that's not that yes, it definitely would help. It's not critical, no. or, but it, it definitely would help. But being around a, a table with that number of ideas in terms of screenwriting, um, just to wrap up on some other, because you, you were talking about Series 2 currently filming, how much of that began with just Kate at your writing desk? Well, for Series 2, none, quite frankly. Like most of it for Series 1, but by series two, you've got your other writers on board, you've got your team, yeah. and you've already had, you know, it's all cast and everything. So it's immediately everybody pitching in, what if, um, you know, whose story are we telling? How can we move on the various stories that we've started in series one? Are we finished with that one? All of that, that's your very first day's conversation. That'll go from nine o'clock in the morning until six o'clock in the evening. And then one little thing will resonate and everybody comes back and says actually that sounded daft at the time but actually that that I think I could watch that 
and then the next day you'll pick it up and, and suddenly. Yeah. So it's a completely collaborative. I love that. And I think a lot of people from other spheres of work can recognise that and relate to that. And I think there's so much in the conversation that the two of you recorded for the festival that whether people are writers, readers or work in any sort of corporate world, there's actually so much of what you said resonates beyond the world of writing, for sure. Thank you so much for giving me your time after recording such a gorgeous conversation for the festival. You sat down to watch Smother a second time? Yes. I'm going to sit back and watch the conversation between the two of you for a second time with just pure joy. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.